0: This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's Most Trusted Energy Providers nationally 2021 and 2022. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit Princewinestore.com.au The thing about
1: tolerance is you have to tolerate intolerance.
0: What were the Essendon board doing? That nobody went, um, hang on a minute, we should have a bit of a further look into this.
1: Andrew Thorburn was leading the review into Essendon. I always think it's a bit weird when someone leads a review into a club and then ends up taking on the job.
0: Ida was saying that she was at this concert sitting down and at some point the MC said to the audience, now, is everybody having a good time out there? And she said, why are you talking to us like we are a bunch of idiots or children? She was so offended.
1: Someone said to me, you know, airlines are the new banks. And I knew exactly what he meant. We
0: are over 60 <laughs> and loving it. And can I tell you on the dance floor on Saturday night, <laughs> mm, we haven't lost any of our magic. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello everyone. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 239. Oh my Lord. Where have the years gone, Caroline mm-hmm. Wilson, my buddy in
1: arms? Hello Corrie, lovely to see you again.
0: Because <laughs> we haven't spent enough time together this weekend, we'll talk a bit more about that in a while. Oh. But first of all...
1: It's been a big campaign, Oh, we've,
0: we've got so much to talk about, we're just going to make ourselves exhausted. But um, first, before we begin, Cara, of course, as we do every week, we send a big cheerio and thanks to our show sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. Red Energy, moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy and of course Prince Wine Store, all of you know about them, princewinestore.com.au for all your fabulous wine. On that topic, Caro, may I just send a cheerio to Louise Sangster in Robe, who's one of our lovely listeners, mother of Gina, who you and I met on the weekend, again more about that later, and Louise, lovely Louise in Robe listens, she's an avid fan of the podcast and Because of us, she joined Red Energy. Wow. So so there you go. So you see, it actually does work. The good uh,
1: folk of Robe. What a beautiful place. What a
0: beautiful place. And in fact, I was talking to Gina about whether that might be possible to go there for a few days uh, around Christmas, New Year. Probably everything's booked out, but... Love robe. Hey, um, we've had a couple of, uh, or quite a a lot of correspondence. Thank you, everybody. Don't forget, you can always send us your letters and your thoughts at feedback at dontshootpod.com.au. And this one is from Thea Guest, a friend of the podcast, and an old friend, and I don't mean in age, but an old friend of yours, particularly um, Caro. And she says, hi, Caro and Corrie, Miss Jane. I don't tune in as regularly as I might, especially during the footy season. Sorry about that. But I did this week and I couldn't help wanting to shout out loud in the middle of the supermarket when I heard you mention the mousetrap player coming to Melbourne. Please don't bother. It's dreadful. (laughs) Believe it or not, I've been twice, once in the late 70s and the 80s, taken both times by English people under the very mistaken impression that it would be an interesting cultural offering to a visiting Aussie. Spars are me. I don't know what she means by that. The second time... I went, I had forgotten how bad it was the first time, and I couldn't remember the ending, which is nonsense, by the way. It's dire. In a world full of amazing, interesting, innovative and classic theatre, I just don't get it. But no accounting for taste. She goes on to say, looking forward to Not Now, Not Ever, which is um, the book we mentioned last week, the collection of essays by Julia Gillard. And um, she thinks it would be a great, uh, and I agree with her, Christmas present for godchildren, daughters, nieces, and all those women in her life. Just picking up on Corrie's remark about having missed the Gillard speech at the time, did you see the piece by Catherine Murphy or a version of it in The Guardian? I agree, Thea, it was a fabulous, fabulous piece and um, it does explain why some members of the press, com- uh, press gallery were a bit um, um, otherwise um, engaged that day. So it was lovely to hear from Thea and she's hoping to come to Australia at Christmas time, Caro, so no doubt we might see her for um, for a bit of a grog.
1: that'll be fantastic. We should get her in, actually.
0: Oh, I agree.
1: Get her in to have a bit of a chat about English life and what it's been like over the last few years. You know what
0: Thea will do now? She'll book that ticket if she has an invitation to come (laughs) on
1: to her favourite podcast. Well, well, not only has she been to... Who's your adored English food writer, the one who lives in Cornwall?
0: Oh, Emily Scott.
1: She's been to her restaurant. She can tell us all about that. Mm -hmm. She said it was one of her best nights ever. She became a... um, I think she signed up to and did a course, in John's Ambulance, and was helping out during the pandemic, um, doing vaccinations. She's done, she's a, mag- she became a magistrate. She's been a brilliant journalist for Panorama. I you know, agree. NBC. And you
0: know, Cara, also, I was just doing some programming for the Sorrento Writers Festival on the weekend, and um, I thought we have to actually get a little panel together to talk about Britain, where to from here, because the whole place is just going to ro- rack and ruin. And I thought, you know, Thea would be great talking, coming into the podcast and talking on something like that. I agree. I think that's a great idea. Thea, there is an invitation for you.
1: And Mary-Anne writes to you about your café, Grumpy. He just says you need to go to Laurent. The Laurent patisserie chain are open 7 till 6, and, Corrie, there are plenty near you in several parts of your world. She often trots around to the church street late in the afternoon with a book under her wing ring for under her wing. <laughs> For a coffee and a reed. And if she's been working hard, sometimes an éclair. Gee, do Laurent still do éclairs? Yeah, they do. And lovely they little strawberry baguettes. tarts.
0: A great baguettes. Uh, look, um Look, that, that is a Marianne, thank you very much. And can I say, you are not the only person to contact me about Laurent. So uh, bouquets to Laurent and I will definitely be there. East
1: Melbourne, Camberwell, South Yarra, Turak, Fitzroy. I think there's one. Certainly the East Melbourne one. I go yes, to a lot. It's near a good, the MCG. Well, it's a good meeting place before the footy. Oh, yeah, of many course. a many a convo or you know <laughs> off the record, interesting conv- conversation. Yes, yeah, as- so
0: if you'd like to know what stories Caroline Wilson will be breaking in her column in the age, you can just call into Laurent and see her on a Friday morning.
1: Well, I don't play golf. It's been very hard as a sports journalist over the years because most of my colleagues are men. Well, I mean, obviously, most, nearly all of them. Lots of women mm-hmm. now, but over the years, and they and the golf course is where you know. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I sort of realise this. I'm, all I can offer is a you know a measly lunch or a coffee or a drink somewhere. But, oh, dull, there'd be millions of men who want to go and have a measly lunch with you. Yeah, but a lot. A golf course is four hours.
0: <laughs> we we'll get a lot of story. Hours, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Caro, just on while we're we're not we're not going to touch on footy too much this week, but I. I did want to just quickly reference um, the Essendon appointment of Andrew Thorburn, which we talked about last week. And then, of course, time got the better of us because the following day he was let go by Essendon. And I just wondered what your thoughts were about that and how weirdly it became a political issue. Media Watch did a whole thing on the coverage of it and the pile on.
1: Look, it became a political issue when Daniel Andrews, the Premier made a comment about the views of the City on the Hill Church and the views particularly about abortion and this sermon back in 2013 where abortion had been sort of compared in some bizarre way to the Holocaust um, and and obviously the attitude to homosexuality whereby um, it's not a sin to be a homosexual but it's a sin to act upon it. I mean, anyway. The, 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 and it's interesting because the Premier is an Essendon supporter... Never spoke about the issues during the drug scandal and has really stayed away from footy. I mean, has obviously been part of the biggest deal, one of the biggest deals in AFL history, which saw the MCG contract extended until long after our lifetime's Corrie. Or oh, we might will we be alive when we're oh, not, yeah, we might be alive in our mid nineties, probably not our mid hundreds. I don't know whether I'll be going to the G. An extraordinary multi million dollar deal that tied the grand final to Melbourne. For the to, until the mid-50s, 2050s, and also a huge amount of um, renovation and rebuilding of the entire Docklands Precinct area. So he's done a lot for footy, but he never talks about it. Now, it was really interesting that he did comment. Matthew Guy came back and said, shouldn't be buying into this. The Essendon CEO lasted, ended up lasting 24 hours.
0: And it was largely fuelled because Neil Mitchell caught the, while he was still on air, he caught the Premier's comments that morning and then really fuelled the, fueled the flame. But do you think Daniel Andrews was right entering into it and making a comment?
1: Um, it was an interesting choice. I, I agree with his views. But do you think he should have said something publicly? Well, I, I, I don't want to ever discourage people from speaking their mind because I wish politicians did more of it. So I thought it was fine to speak publicly. Um, I don't think it was Neil Mitchell, by the way. I mean, I think the pile well he did They they said that on... I only know that. I wasn't listening, but Media
0: Watch... Neil was 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 one of
1: the... um, Media Watch was tracking how the events unfolded on that Tuesday morning. And Neil loves... Neil really likes Andrew Thorburn and has worked with him in a volunteer capacity and admires him. So this guy who's seen as a major coup for resident to lift them out of the doldrums, I'm not so sure about that, not being a footy person, I'm... Non-footy people rarely work at footy clubs, in my view, as CEOs. But um, anyway, he was seen as a coup. I think even the new coach, Brad Scott, thought he was a coup. Everybody was so excited. Neil had no issue at all with his religious beliefs, even though he didn't agree with them. The problem, I guess, for Daniel Andrews was, in the end, if you deep dive into everyone's philosophical or theological beliefs, and Daniel Andrews is... Catholic, whether he's a practising Catholic, I don't know, and you look at some of their doctrines and you go, well... Of course. I think probably the
0: issue, though, was um, Andrew Thorburn is the chairman, I think that's how they call it, of of this church, and so very hard to support the churches On a board where they
1: don't allow women. Yeah, there you go. But then the Catholic Church won't let women be priests. (laughs) So Yes, inclusion.
0: But, uh, look, I agree with the... um,
1: The thing about tolerance is you have to tolerate intolerance. So so when the GWS, AFLW player has now for two seasons in a row refused to play in the Pride game because she won't wear the Pride jumper, it's like we have to tolerate her beliefs because she's a Muslim, but it's intolerant. Mm. I mean, it, and Barney it. Schwartz wrote a really good column about this in The Age. He was a former religious writer for The Age and now a, very, a, a member of the church, works for the church that he believes in and he... he he explained this really well and it does set a dangerous precedent. But I think you're right. I think the fact that Andrew Thorburn was president or mm, chairman mm. of this. Yeah, on
0: the decision making part of the church, which that and as, as some one commentator said, um Thorburn didn't lose his job because he was a Christian. He lost his job because he doesn't don't denounce those views, and and his church doesn't, and he represents his church. But as another commentator said, this is a story about management incompetence, which is exactly what it is. And you and I talked about this on the weekend that that boards are there are a reason why we have boards, <laughs> and one of the things, one of the most important things that boards do, is to replenish um, replenish themselves, um, and and also uh, appoint key key administrators, particularly CEOs. And so usually what happens is a board will have a subcommittee of maybe two, three or four members who then interview a number of short or long-listed people. And it is the board's job to really get into the weeds with the CV, look at what they do. I can say this because I've been involved in this process myself a few times. And anything that is a red alert, you put a tick beside and remember to ask the candidate or you investigate yourself because Facebook and social media does allow us to actually now have more access to people's lives, sadly, than we used to. Or LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is a fantastic resource as well. So what were the what were the Essendon board doing that nobody went, um, hang on a minute, we should have a bit of a further look into this.
1: But he was leading, Andrew Thorburn was leading the review into Essendon. Well, I They'd chosen... Well, and and then But he, know, still ha- he, he still had. presumably he still put
0: but presumably he still put his C V in when he when he threw his hat in the ring for well, the Well Dorothy job.
1: Hisgrove, who is a board member at Essendon and who had worked in a senior role for the AFL, an HR expert, had worked with him at NAB, clearly was an clearly was very excited by the appointment and said so on social media. Um,
0: and she won the board over. Well, that's another. Well, well, it wasn't boards, only it? it
1: wasn't only her. I think you know David Barham was excited too. I always think it's a bit weird when someone leads a review into a club and then ends up taking on the job, and that yeah. does happen often. But it's um that's why the Essendon board is now facing a potential challenge, and why David Barham, you know, is looking like I mean he's he's made a series of missteps. He's been authentic. He's been passionate. But he's in a bit of trouble.
0: (laughs) And as the Herald Sun reported the other day, my son Will is about to take the job as head of communications there, so that'll be good.
1: Well, at least he'll have plenty to do. It'll be
0: a great and interesting time for him, I have no (laughs) doubt. Caro, a quick one, a big hello to our friends in far north Queensland, because you and I spent four days there over this long weekend. Well, it was a long weekend for us, not for
1: everybody else. I actually um, went even further. I spent a day and a night in Cairns where I've never really been and had a lovely you know, bike ride along the promenade, checked out the Botanic Gardens. I mean, tropical Botanic Gardens are so beautiful. Got a lovely photo of the old Cairns Post newspaper office. There's a real colonialism springing up again in Cairns Renovation of beautiful old buildings. Oh, the Queen, the in, Queens,
0: old Queenslanders up on their stilts. They, yeah. it really looked um, beautiful and, and, driving and, to and from the airport.
1: But there's a there's a whiff of Singapore about it too. And in in opposition to the you know the high rises that have also gone up, but not too many. The problem with Cairns is you can't swim there because of the it, well, it, it's unswimmable. Like is it because of crocodiles and those
0: and stingers? So you yeah. and I were invited to a um, a good friend's, a great friend of yours, good friend of mine her 60th birthday which was in the same year as me last year but sadly unlike me she was a victim of lockdown and uh, although I was only allowed to have a few people I was on restriction but um, but our friend missed out and of course had asked us all up to Mission Beach for her birthday where she has a house and it was then just rescheduled for this year so a whole bunch of us went up there and had a fantastic time. So shout out and thanks to all the gang who had the party, bought the grog, cooked beautiful food, a bit more on that later on when we have BSF.
1: Yes, I've got a wonderful prawn recipe that you instructed me to get to the bottom <laughs> of. it's
0: great. But what are your thoughts on... So we had... Uh, Pete and I had four days and we just decided to quote Anna from the op shop to make every post a winner. And in fact, for us, because it... it we just, you know, really felt like a, a circuit breaker. We found it in the peace and calm, the walking, the swimming, sitting on the beach, reading. Oh, there was very busy at night time for all of us, but we just came back feeling so relaxed despite 11 and a half hours of travel from Mission Beach to Tullamarine Airport.
1: Yes. It, it, look, it's a long way um, because it's two hours to get to Mission if you organise a cab and it's a most beautiful drive or hire a car, which is what I'd do next time.
0: Well, no, I was on the Greyhound bus coming back. It was great. It was actually really comfortable.
1: Yes, but it's over, then it's over three hours on yeah, the bus, it isn't it? Yet. I mean, anyway, I just thought it was absolutely beautiful. The green, you know, you're in the same country, but when you get off that plane at Cairns and you feel the humidity and the warmth, it's just incredible. Um, You're staring from Mission Beach over to Dunk Island, which I haven't quite realised. We went over and swam in a beautiful uh, beach called Naturalist Bay, um, which uh, I honestly felt like, Corrie, I was on a Greek island. The flowers, the the one that really caught me was the, um, and Miss Jane, you would have loved these. My beautiful host, Nick, called them beehive ginger and they're like beehives, and they've got this beautiful orange.
0: The way they're formed, and, they're, and it's a very rigid stem, so they actually look like, um, they reminded me of, uh, you know, they were very big in the 70s with my parents, but that when they would have a beach coma party, and you'd stick the little flares, a la Hawaii, in the ground, and you'd light like yeah. them. They looked a bit the like torches. that. torches. Yeah, the little <laughs> torches. It looked like that. But, Cara, the colour of the hibiscus... Yeah, oh, just, the hibiscus oh, was beautiful. The
1: frangipanies weren't out, but this is a very unspoilt place. But do you know the hilarious?
0: So the hilarious thing, at Potties, is that we're all swimming. Uh, apparently, the stingers arrive in November. We're told, and the crocodiles only come out at night. Dawn or dusk is not a good time to swim, so we're swimming and everything's great. And I was sharing digs with your sister, Moggs, and um, when we ran into them at Cairns Airport, um, she said that their bus driver had said, oh, God, you don't swim out there, crocodiles. <laughs> you know. So we'd all been swimming, and unbeknownst to us, we were in one of the most dangerous waters of Australia. I shouldn't laugh, but gosh, you know, any of us could have been taken away by Mr. snaps Oh,
1: look, it, it, it really was a... Um a cultural experience and a tropical party and you know it was a it reminded me a bit of Rose's wedding actually similar amount of people. She gathered more than ninety people up there and they've been going there now for nearly forty years, thirty five to forty years because the family bought a house there right on the beach. And, you know, they've fallen in love with the locals, fallen in love with the life, because of COVID, have barely been there for a few years. Um the family shares this house and goes up at various times of the year. Um, You'll be happy to know that in nearby Tully, there's a thriving bridge community. That's why I'm eyeing that off next time. Our beautiful host gave us the most wonderful tour of all the different... It's built on a series of villages and none of them is that big. There is a big Woolworths, but it's a very... It's not Noosa, it's not even Port Douglas, nothing like... But don't you
0: think the GLT, though, to anybody going up there for the first time, is when you look at the map, you think that Mission Beach and South Mission and all of these different townships are relatively close... Uh, Absolutely not. It it really is. Like you can't live, you can't be where we were and sort of walk into Mission Beach for a coffee because it's about seven kilometres away. So it's all, the map looks a bit weird. When you you look at it, you think, oh, we'll stay there because we'll be near this or we'll be able to walk there. Just get some good local information from your local Ray White lady, Mm, Carol.
1: Bingle Bay is beautiful, Lugger Bay. And obviously Dunk was... um, Finally closed down again after the last cyclone, and cyclones are the big issue up there. And they're talking that there might be another one soon. But and most of the houses are now cyclone proof, if you can ever do that. But um, it looks like ecotourism, if if they if it ever does get populated again, ecotourism will be the way to go, and it'll be fantastic. Look, absolutely stunning. Yeah, it was three day event. Probably a couple too many margaritas for me, but there you go. Um, a bit too it late was, on the dance floor <laughs> on the night of the major party.
0: It was just it was something though about walking along the beach to a party. So we were about a kilometre away and just walking along the beach each night and seeing everybody out on the on the sand with their margaritas is very happy. And I do think it is it is costly to have a mini break like that, but it's worth it, and especially when you're with a group of people you haven't seen for a long time and. The reminder being that somebody is turning 60 and how wonderful life is if you still have lots of friends and you're still able to get up north and
1: um, it was beautiful. The, uh, I took my time getting up there, which was why I didn't really have a long day of travel except coming back. And we had a couple of days in Sydney and that I d- again did the walk I've recommended to you, to you before, Clontarf Bay, around to um, Manly, which is about... I guess about ten k's or something. It's a most beautiful walk, and you look over at the other side of Sydney, over at Camp Cove, and you're looking right through the gap. I mean, it is just extraordinary. Such a beautiful Sydney walk. is
0: such a great place for a, a, a... ending
1: up with a bloody mary and a very nice lunch at um, what's the name of that beautiful beach? Is it Penny? Um, not am uh, not um, Hilly Beach. I think it's called, right. at Manly. Anyway. Oh, beautiful! Well, no, Sydney great is holiday. Sydney
0: is great for um, a mini break. We, we always uh, agree with that one, and a quick one also that came across my desk, Caro, that I wondered whether you'd uh, caught was on Friday morning, and when I was up at Mission and I was walking, I listened in my earpods um, to a most interesting interview on Radio National. Patricia Carvelis interviewed ABC chair Ita Butros, who is eighty. And was talking about uh, ageism. Last Friday was Australia's Ageism Awareness Day. Only the second of these events, but I think quite
1: important. I read about this. Apparently, oh, it, was it was so a, interesting. Yeah, hasn't she become a um, a beacon for Australian women? Re- she really has through Look, the ages, really. Yeah.
0: Well, I wonder whether that television show that where Asha Keddie played her. Um, As a young Ita, I can't remember the name of it a few years ago. Whether that had anything to to do with the reigniting of the popularity of Ita Buttrose, but this Ita was talking about a new poll um, that coincided with the day. They asked a number of people, um, thousands of people over the age of 50, about issues such as social isolation and health. Um, loneliness, greater financial insecurity. And all of these things are very heightened, particularly difficult for women. And as you and I know, because we saw the wonderful uh, movie with um, Emma, Emma Thompson. Um, um, good luck to you, uh, good, Leo. Good Leo Grand. Yeah. Went, where Emma, of course, um, highlights the invisible woman syndrome. But Ida was talking all about this um, attitudes and expectations. And she said, it's just so appalling the way Older people, older Australians are treated. If they want to work part time or go for a job, there's always a reluctance to hire them. Generally, people in positions of authority think that those people can't be retrained, which is nonsense in most cases. She talked about everyday language, and Ida was saying that she went to a um, recently went to a seniors' concert. Met some terrific people and everything, sitting in the auditorium. What's a seniors concert? Oh, well, you know, a concert for older people. They often have them at the Arts Centre. They call them a seniors. That's what they call them. It's not me being cheeky. No, but what do you have to be? Oh, no, you get it. It's a discount price and everybody, it's during the day and, you know, all lovely occasions. But she went to one of the performers seniors as well? I don't know. History doesn't relate. But anyway. (laughs) Sorry. So Ida was saying that she was at this concert sitting down and at some point the MC said to the audience, now is everybody having a good time out there? And she said, why are you talking to us like we are a bunch of idiots or children? She was so offended and she found the MC's language and darling and sweetie and just so offensive. If I go into one more shop and somebody of 22 calls me, oh, lovely, lovely. Thanks, lovely. Have a great day. No, I'm not
1: your lovely. Yeah, I'm not mad on lovely. I'm not mad on lovely. I can cop mate. My daughter Clementine does a great impersonation of a woman in rehab who was looking after mum when she had her hip operation. Good morning, Julia. How are we today? <laughs> Clem always goes, Hello, Julia. How uh it's just extraordinary.
0: And Aisha says they often yell, people will often talk loudly thinking like that. that. Yeah, that's yeah. right, exactly. <laughs> but um look, it was just such an interesting interview. And do you remember, Carol, when we first started this podcast? And Miss Jane will remember this too, our Grumpy segment we call Grumpy Old Women. And we were advised um that grumpy old women was probably not a good thing for you and I to be highlighting the fact that we were older. And I just, like, you know, anyway, look, that's what it was. Was it okay to say we were women? (laughs) (laughs) Is it okay to say that we are over (laughs) 60 and loving it? And can I tell you on the dance floor on Saturday night, Mm -hmm. we haven't lost any of our magic. Now, Caro, Miles from Prince Wine Store cannot be with us today, not even on the telephone. They had a very big event at Prince Wine Store in South Melbourne last night. What I was saw, it a wine tasting? It was a champagne tasting, a champagne night welcoming new vintages from their French... He told
1: us about this, didn't he? <laughs>
0: well... Looking at the Instagram photos, Carol, I think we've missed, the you know, the greatest ticket in town. But No, there's it? a
1: better one coming up, Corrie. Oh, on. and what would that be, Caro? <laughs> October 26. Please come along. We are so looking forward to it. Uh, Prince Wine Store, Wednesday, October the 26th. Get there around 5. We'll be there between 5 and 7 talking wine, just having a general chat, having a bit of a tasting. Miles will be there. And I think there's going to be um, 15% off to all our wonderful podcast friends.
0: Mm, Take home a box is what we're saying to you guys.
1: Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I'm sure the champagne tasting was fun, but there'll be some of those champagnes there, I'm sure, on October 26th, Corrie.
0: Well, I can, I, honestly, what looking at these photos, Jane and Caro, of last night's event, it, and you and I were talking last week what a fabulous venue and a beautiful building it is. It really is a great place for a party. So we do hope you'll come along. And, of course, Gab and Miles and all the Prince Wine Store team will be there to discuss all of your spring and summer Uh, alcohol and non-alcohol needs. And Jane, I think we were going to um, give a little bit of a plug to Miles's Spring Mixed Dozen because that offer is still available through princewinestore.com.au. Yeah, if you want to check out all of the amazing wines, Caro, I think you've got a box of the Spring Mix Dozen. You haven't actually
1: drunk much of it yet because you've been away. No, I I haven't had (laughs) – don't worry. There's plenty of time. Are you
0: kidding? We have Scrabble on the weekend, Jane. We'll knock it off. Oh, there we go. Uh, The Croner
1: Brothers Pinot Gris 2022 is in there as well. That was actually my pick. There's some fabulous wines and you get a discount and I can highly recommend it. It's a wonderful – well, you're not going to give – that's a very generous hostess gift, but if you're going to go and stay with someone, I would highly recommend it. Great idea. Caro, BSF, Book Screen and Food,
0: and today you have – in fact, we were vying for books because we had time to read a lot on our weekend we away, did. especially we at the did. Cairns Airport for four hours on Sunday. We did. But um, tell me about the book that you've been reading.
1: Well, it's Ian McEwan's latest. I bought it with you, um, the um, – I bought it with you a couple of weeks ago for the trip and I have just finished it. Yay. Corrie, it's um, it's called Lessons. As I said, it's by Ian McEwan, uh, one of my favourite authors. Um, he's written some wonderful books, but I think this is one of his classics. It's classic Ian McEwan. Um, he does uh, middle-class English men absolutely brilliantly. And this particular Englishman, Roland, And his life is set against um, a backdrop of really the second half of the century, of the 20th century, um, moving all the way up to the pandemic. The story opens Roland is in his mid 30s living in Clapham with his baby, Lawrence. Lawrence's mother, Alyssa, has just left the family with no word of warning. He just nicks off one day and very briefly um Roland is questioned by police has he done away with her he's left a note saying don't try and mind me please don't try and find me please forgive me i love you and basically that is the start of the story we then and and at this point i think we're sort of in the mid 80s we go back to um sort of the 10 years post world war 2 where my, um Roland is living with his parents in libya his father is a Look, he's he's done well in the army but not quite well enough and you never really work out why um, and his be- mother who he adores. Uh, Roland is brought back to England to go to boarding school and it's there that the seminal event, really, of his life takes place where he is preyed upon by his piano teacher, hence the name of the, uh, the novel Lessons. He's 12 when it begins and when it really begins he's 14. He's 25 and they're in this English rural town where he's nicking off from boarding school and going to her house under the guise of receiving piano lessons. Um, look, is it a story of abuse? No, but that's part of it. It's a story, and, and Roland has a series of life experience that happened between the piano teacher and marrying Alyssa, the half-German woman with whom he has young Lawrence, before she disappears, and... Um, What happens to both of them, to the wife who nicks off and why she nicks off and what she does with her life? Oh, she comes
0: back into it.
1: Well, uh, there there is so many, so many, I don't want to give away too many spoiler alerts, but this is a story of basically Europe in (laughs) the second half of the 20th and (coughs) early 21st century and a lot of, you know, there's climate change, there's Thatcher, there's the fall of the Berlin Wall, seminal events happen around Roland, there's um the whole Stasi period, um, which
0: reminds me a bit of that novel Saturday. Do you remember?
1: Yeah, there, there's mm. a bit of that, but um there's a bit of William Boyd about it too. Look, I just found it gripping. I couldn't put it down. There's not too much diatribe about you know certain issues like the pandemic or um, climate change.
0: Looking at it, Caro, it or looks like Berlin it's one Wolf. of his bigger books. Oh, it's
1: a it's massive, it and I and book. I think it's um I think it's a classic. I That's really great. do. Oh, how wonderful! It's a most fabulous story. Yeah, it's nearly five hundred pages, and um, you know, opening as I said with the mysterious vanishing of his wife, and and what happens with the police investigation and his wife's backstory, her mother, an English woman who went to Germany. Okay, don't give away too much. But you think is, is this a spy story? Like you're not quite sure, mm. and you're never quite sure what it is, and then you sort of realise what it actually is. What was his?
0: Um, what was his? Uh, Was it Spires Like Me? What was his book that we loved that he wrote about five years ago about the girl who was seconded into MI5? Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth, that's right. A
1: brilliant book. And Nutshell was another brilliant one on Chesil Beach. Look, Saturday, Atonement, Amsterdam is Mm. written, not like the movie Amsterdam that's just come out. But I would highly, highly... Recommend lessons by Ian McEwan. Now, Corrie, you've got a screen. I
0: do, Cara. I watched this uh, a few weeks ago in anticipation of uh, a Zoom interview I did, and um, some potties joined in. Thank you, with uh, Cornwall writer um, Patrick Gale, who is now my new best friend. And Patrick wrote this not as a book; it's called "Man in an Orange Shirt," but he wrote it as a screenplay, and in fact, he won an Emmy for it uh, a few years ago. It is now on Stan, and it's a two-part series. Man in an Orange Shirt. Vanessa Redgrave kicks off proceedings in the first episode. We're in contemporary times, and it's another one of Vanessa Redgrave's beautifully crafted performances. You know how, as an older actor now, she's there's almost an unspoken sadness that she brings and a nostalgia, certainly, for those of us who remember Camelot. But even her character has this. It, it just infuses. And you wonder, what is the backstory of Flora? Flora lives in um, in a rather nice London home, and her only grandchild, Adam, who's probably in his late 20s, I think, maybe early 30s, he lives in the flat below, and it's just the pair of them. They have a terrific relationship, not overly gushy, but they're very, um, they're very connected intellectually. And early on, we learn that Adam is gay, but he hasn't come out to his grandmother. And he's a frequenter of gay nightclubs and men's toilets and everything and anonymous sex with random men is the thing that gets him through his day and night. but he is completely tortured by his desire for love and a steady relationship, and the fact that he's gay and he's fearful of his grandmother's response. And therein lies the story and the backstory. what what is it about Flora? what's in her makeup that Adam is picking up on but doesn't really know? And then we go back in the first episode, we go back to the war when a young Flora marries um, um, an army, uh, I don't think he's an, he might be an, actually I think he is an officer, Michael Berryman, and Flora, the beautiful Flora, who's a schoolteacher, marries Michael. But during Michael's time fighting the Germans, he meets up with an old school chum, Captain Thomas March, and against this backdrop of war, the pair of them fall in love, and um, Michael has to do the right thing and come back and marry Flora. And of course, in those days, there was no—you know—there was no sense that anybody could have a, a perfectly formed gay relationship. We're talking forties and fifties, London, and we knew that they th- threw people in the clink. <clears throat> there were laws against homosexuality, but all of this—all um, of this—is sort of swirling around, and you wonder what impact that has on the current day and the contemporary. In the second episode, Adam, the grandson, meets Steve the local vet, a beautiful person. They spend lots of time together and it's this whole thing of will they or won't they? Can Adam actually commit? Will Adam come out to his grandmother, Flora? And did Flora actually know about her husband all those years ago and their marriage and why it was so incredibly um, fraught and they only had one child who only had one child being Adam? Carol, you will love this. The acting performances are fine and beautiful, and I just think it's a gorgeous piece about um, about secrets and um, just the rigidity and conservatism of nineteen fifties London, which is where you're obviously heading a bit. Well, with there's M- some family secrets M- M- in, in yeah.
1: lessons too that yeah. I haven't talked about. I thought it was
0: kind of a nice come out late there. in the book. Yeah, but it was just it was just such a sad time. And there are so many shows now. The wonderful one with um, where Hugh Grant is the predatory. Um, um parliamentarian, and there's so A many very British scandals. Yes, there are so many things at the moment that are making me think and taking me back to 1950s London when gay men were sent to prison and people pretended to be who they were not, and there was just so much sadness generation after generation. So, highly recommend um, Man in an Orange Shirt on Stan, two part series. Now, on oh, so tr- it's
1: two parts, yes, so, yes.
0: So, the first part, although it starts at the it starts like in At contemporary times it goes back to World War Two, And then the second part is Adam. we pick up with Adam's story and he meets the local vet. And, and, and
1: Flora is Vanessa Redgrave.
0: Flora is Vanessa Redgrave. So as a young woman she's played by a beautiful actress and I don't know who she is. I didn't recognise her. And then uh, we go back and forth in time and Vanessa is the older woman. It's fab. It's really, really beautiful. Okay, so on to food. And uh, on our um, Mission Beach holiday, at at two of the lovely parties, um, we were served, I'm just calling them Chrissy's marinated prawns. And I just I can't think of another name. Chrissy, you've probably got something fancy there. And you have the recipe because I text you saying, For God's sake, if you see Chrissy, get the recipe.
1: Well I, I, I received it from her verbally. She assures me she's going to email it to me as well. Oh good. So we can send that to
0: Miss Jane for the yes. notes.
1: But basically, I mean people who marinate and barbecue prawns all the time will just roll their eyes and go, Oh duh but there was something about the mixture of these ingredients which Chrissy makes up like a a bit of a pesto paste. So the the herb is um, coriander, lots and lots of chopped coriander. Um, the other ingredients are lemongrass, also chopped, lime rind, but no juice, because that sort of cooks the prawns, as you know. Chopped ginger, chopped garlic, olive oil, fresh chilli, all chopped up.
0: Red or green, we don't know oh, at this red. stage. yeah. yeah.
1: And um, and so, but I mean, if you've only got green, I'm sure that would be fine. And lots of salt and pepper. So you basically make that into a thick pesto-y paste, and then put all your um, raw prawn cutlets or whatever, yeah. Well, obviously they're raw, into a big plastic bag, and pour the paste all over them in the plastic bag, and juke it all around. Stick them in the fridge until you're ready to cook them. And it's you know, I, I don't know if Chrissy. I think she just leaves them in there for a few hours, but. They're the vital ingredients. And then you take them out and she suggests making extra and she uses it in a Thai beef salad. She uses it with chicken. She uses it with, you know, just about anything. But she says... I mean, you get the consistency by the way you do it. If you want more chilli, you put in more fresh chilli. But It was such a beautiful
0: marinade and it, and it came through in the cooking, didn't it? And it was really, yes.
1: really powerful. It was beautiful. Lots of finely chopped, finely grated lime, limes, obviously. Chopped ginger, garlic, olive oil, fresh chilli, lots of chopped coriander and lemongrass. And I, I would suggest only the white bits of the lemongrass chopped up absolutely stunning and then you just pop them on the barbecue yeah. or in a fry pan frying yes. pan and i just stunning. loved i
0: just loved the way it was just served on a plain plate because they were all gone in a minute but it, it just it was just all about the celebration of the marinade really and the beautiful
1: fresh prawn it was just a great dish yeah i never actually um tried one but oh, everyone raved you? about them so much <laughs> Don't worry, oh, I didn't get on to that one. <laughs> I didn't miss out. The the big um, fish up there is mackerel, and it and again sometimes it needs to be flavoured a bit. And there was a marinade we had on our barbecued mackerel the next day. But mackerel fish tacos, I think, were passed around in those fabulous little taco holders that you buy a set of plastic. What a great taco idea! Holders. They are. I actually took a photo of them. I might send it to Miss Jane. My cousin bought a lot of them online, and they're very cheap. Mm. And she's a caterer as
0: well, so that helps.
1: Well, we should also thank Red Energy, who sponsor BSF. Oh, you can do that. Um, Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, is not a time you called Red Energy on 131806. Look, obviously travel is something I've done a bit this year and last year, and generally it's gone pretty smoothly, and I honestly understand that things are difficult with travel at the moment and the industry has suffered. But I'm really thinking about banning Qantas and banning Jetstar because I just think that it just seems too suspicious to me that flights are cancelled, as what happened to my brother and sister the other day leaving Cairns. A flight is cancelled on the day and to get on to... Another flight at the same time. It was a Jetstar flight that was cancelled. Guess what? There's a Qantas flight at exactly the same time. And there are seats. Now, isn't that just a bit weird? They had to pay for that Qantas flight. If you wanted the alternative Jetstar flight from Cairns to Sydney, you had to leave Cairns at 6am the following day after your flight, go to Sydney via Melbourne and Adelaide. That was a flight they offered you in exchange for the one they cancelled. So you leave Cairns at six am. You get to Sydney at five thirty pm. Having gone to Sydney, having flown, flown halfway Cairns, around the country via Adelaide and Melbourne, mm. and of, all, and
0: of course in the case of your brother, sister, and brother in law, they all had to get back to Sydney on the Monday for appointments. So they had to take. They actually had to take the had to take the
1: flight. It's extraordinary, unbelievable. It is, it is just and I, and amazing coincidence. Qantas. Someone said to me, you know, airlines are the new banks, and I knew exactly what he meant. And um, I, I just think that it, even yesterday, you know, my Jetstar flight had also been cancelled, but I never got the email because it went through to spam. And they were very nice in trying to help me get back to Melbourne. It did take heaps longer. And I noticed that um, there was an alternative Qantas flight and an alternative Virgin flight. Both of them didn't really work. But the Virgin flight was two or $300 less than the Qantas one. I just think that – I and, and, you know, when the price gouging happened over the footy finals, because there are a lot of footy finals outside of Victoria, which is great, and people are able to travel again, the way they gouged the fares from Melbourne to Sydney and Melbourne to Perth and Melbourne to Brisbane was an utter disgrace. And I looked at the fares and Qantas were way worse than Jetstar. Pretty weird that the chairman of the AFL is also the chairman of Qantas, just saying. That is a worrying conflict to me in this situation. I think the gouging is disgraceful and there is something weird about those cancelled flights and there's a, there just happens to be a Qantas flight at the same time who owned Jetstar. Mm. Makes me very grumpy, Corrie. I can tell you're
0: very grumpy. Um, that was grumpy old women. No, we're not allowed to say the word old. Um, okay. No, we're just grumpy. We're just grumpy. <laughs> Six quick questions for Red Energy. Caro, what remains the AFL's most frightening elephant in the room? Well,
1: they've got a lot of issues at the moment, as you know, and um, (laughs) it's just,
0: honestly, the season never stops, certainly this year. Wow.
1: On on the face of it, it would seem that um, these allegations by a series of Indigenous families towards certain individuals who worked at Hawthorne, um, including Alistair Clarkson, would be the biggest issue the AFL is facing, but no doubt The long-term elephant in the room is concussion. A couple of um, AFL experts, I think, are going to be speaking at a big international concussion conference that's happening in the coming weeks. Um, The AFL have been looking at this for a long time. There's a view that they don't really understand where they are at the moment. They've employed Peter Gordon, the former Bulldogs president and obviously very famous... um, Lawyer.
0: He's also, in bo- also involved with the Hawthorne families,
1: isn't he? He is. The he former is. Hawthorne family. He is. And um, look, lit- litigation lawyer, I think that um, this is going to be, uh, whether there's going to be a, a class act in building and Greg Griffin, a, a, an Adelaide solicitor, is running that. Peter Jess, of course, player manager, former player manager, is very vocal in this area. Um, players have died in tragic circumstances Shane Tuck was one who, and, you know, afterwards they had a look at his brain and uh, some terrible ramifications from concussion were found. This has happened a lot. It's happening more and more. There's a group of players, more and more players are putting their names to this. How they are going to resolve this, what will be at some point either a mass settlement or class action is going to be really interesting. And even though the AFL say they've got tough on concussion, you know, Patrick Cripps won the Brownlow. He was suspended for an action that could have caused a serious head injury. His club appealed and they won the appeal. So I'm not saying Patrick Cripps is to blame for this. It was an accident, but you know, they're not you don't quite feel yet the game has really got this and, and I don't even think the current concussion protocols are good enough. They brought in a concussion sub to make it easier for um, clubs to take players off and replace them. Then it became a medi sub and soon it's just gonna be a sub. You're Watch.
0: you're you're a friend of a, a lot of old former footballers. Do you ever notice anything in any of them, in terms of?
1: Yes, I do. And, slowness, and many of damage. them have spoken about it. Have spoken about it quite openly, not only about loss of memory and strange behavioural issues and addiction issues, but um, also um, you know terrible mood swings and mm. mental health. You know depression and headaches. Yeah. I did an interview with Richard Collis, the Sydney Swans' former chairman, many years ago. Very, very successful man who has spoke about his battle with, with depression and he is convinced it happened because of a series of concussions that happened to him playing footy over in West Australia, university footy, many, many years ago. Anyway, that's concussion. Corrie, on the order of Queen... Do we say Margaret? I think so. Margaret Second, she of the Danish royal family... That particular royal family is scaling down. Should the Brits do the same and who should get the chop? (laughs) It's a multi-layered quick question. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll be quicker than your last one, although the concussion. Sorry. I No, no, no. It was really interesting. No, don't feel bad. I I mean, you know, it's uh, it's your podcast. Um, Our podcast. (laughs) No, I just wanted to say on this issue that I think it's probably too late to take titles away from those old fossils like Prince and Princess Michael of Kent although Lord knows why she deserves it. But I would actually suggest Charles and the firm look at the princesses, Eugenie and Beatrix, Beatrice, becoming equals with their cousins, the Phillipses or the Wessex kids. Um, I don't know why they have to be princesses. And I'd also suggest that Harry and Meghan, Meghan's two children, are not because they're not in line to the British throne, or well, they are, but like about 12th down the line. Um, I would also consider that perhaps... That there is a review of their titles. Now, they haven't been yet awarded their titles. They are entitled under current current status to become the prince and princess because their grandfather is the king, but that might be one to look at. But no, I think the more prince and princesses you have, the more complicated it all becomes. So that's my thoughts on that one, Cara.
1: Now, Gee, that's going to be interesting then, isn't it? It is, indeed. Some There's some big calls to be made.
0: Well, I think this is the time. I really think this is the time, and and Denmark has shown the way. Of course, poor Queen Queen Margaret, her her grandchildren and her youngest son, whose children these are, they're not talking to her at the moment. It must be an awful decision for a grandmother to make, but I think it's in the best interest of the future of the monarchy there. Um, Caro, Oscar Wilde's birthday is on October 16th. What's your favourite Oscar Wilde story?
1: Definitely The Happy Prince and in fact they happy oh i
0: thought you were going to say an anecdote i was going to say that my favorite one is on his deathbed he looked at the
1: <laughs> looked at the room he was
0: in and he said either that wallpaper goes or i do. <laughs> no i wasn't No oh, you mean actual story/play yes. slash play. oh yes. okay well the picture i was of... thinking oh you must have a raft of anecdotes
1: no the picture of dorian gray's been had done a very successful run in melbourne theatre this year and look there were so many um oh what's a very um Oh, and The Importance of Being Earnest. The imper- I was going to say the handbag, but you know, you know what I mean. The
0: Importance of Being Earnest is a really good one for charades, FYI.
1: Oh, and it's a, a brilliant film, a brilliant with Edith Evans. It's but, brilliant. Um, anyway, um, no, The Happy Prince was um, at my grandmother's place in Rye when we were growing up. She had a – I think it was at her place, um, Granny Wilson. She had a, a, record, a recording of it, narrated, and we were just – fascinated by this story. And, in fact, The Happy Prince was then made into a movie about Oscar Wilde's last years because, you know, it's meant to be symbolic of his life and his living in exile over in Italy. But, Corrie, it is the most beautiful story. I used to recommend it to, to grandparents and godparents as a lovely gift for a child. It's it's, it's actually tragic. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it's about a, a prince who dies and becomes a statue, a bejeweled statue, and he lives within the statue and um, empowers a swallow to take the jewels from his statue and give it to people who were poor and needy. Um, it is uh, it is just one of the most beautiful stories. It, it's a bit like the nightingale and the rose. Um, but anyway, I just thought it w- it's always been a beautiful story. It's very symbolic. Um, I think in the end, you know, the swallow and the prince are transported to heaven because of the good deeds they've done. But I would thoroughly recommend The Happy Prince. I think Oscar Wilde was a brilliant writer. Brilliant. I mean, his actual life story has sort of overshadowed, I reckon. Yeah, his brilliance. Some of his brilliant writing. Anyway, um, Corrie, what's happening to you on Oscar Wilde's birthday, October 16?
0: I'm being christened. I did hear this. Well, actually, I have been christened. I was christened as a child, as a baby. But um, I recently proposed to my unofficial godfather, Ranald MacDonald, who many listeners to 3 alone back didn't in the propose day... You to him, but... <laughs> well, I proposed, my, I invited him, I asked him, would he like to be my godfather? And um, that was a rather teary moment. It was a rather beautiful thing to do. Um, and it was an acknowledgement of all that he's done for me and my family over many years. And after lots of tears and everything, his gorgeous wife, Tricia, said, let's get the clans together and have a party so we're going to have one. We're going to have my christening party on Sunday and um, a member of, I think maybe she's a former vicar, I'm not sure, but a friend of um, Trisha's is going to come along and say a few words. Oh, wonderful. So I'll bring you up to date next week when I see you. Wonderful. We're talking about giving each other a christening present. Um,
1: so did you did you have a godfather originally?
0: No, no, I didn't. Because he didn't do that in the Methodist Church, it was interesting. They don't do that. But he was always the unofficial one, and um, was certainly there after my dad died, and I was still quite young. So we just thought we'd formalise our, our arrangement. So because oh, you, you can do well, that, because you can do that. I think your
1: dad and your mum would be very happy. To I know think that so was too.
0: My brother, when I told him, he said what are you doing that for? I mean, oh, you're so unromantic. And in fact, um, having spent time... I hope time, he's going
1: to turn up.
0: No, no, well, no, we didn't invite him. We didn't want to get it too big. It's oh, just, just, it's just our, family. Grand, our grandchildren and things. But um, Caro, um, I did have a little chat to your brother on the weekend and we do think we'll do a brother's series when William, your brother, comes to town next and I'll bring Steve in. Could you think of two more opposite...
1: Diametric opposites.
0: <laughs> It'll be fun. Hey, what's your GLT? Well, Revisiting the past, the well, GLT.
1: Well, I wanted Whatever to... happen happened to that segment? I wanted... Occasionally we bring it back, and I wanted to work this into the podcast because there is an exhibition on at the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne at the moment. It's only on until November, November 1. Look, it is... I've, I haven't been yet. I've read about it and I've been told about it. It is meant to be absolutely brilliant. It's called... La, um, Lust, love, loss. And it's a series of war, well, it's basically a war exhibition, but it's um it's basically addressing some of the taboos of war, which include infidelity, um, babies born out of wedlock, um, some of the pictures, are absolutely beautiful. Some of the writings are absolutely fascinating. So it's letters
0: and ephemera and stuff like that.
1: Yes, but I mean, there was um, Roy. Hod- uh, is it Roy Hodgkinson? One of my favourite artists. Um, he's, there's a, a painting, "One Sunday Afternoon in Townsville," a 1942 picture that is absolutely beautiful. Um, Peter Churcher, um, Will Dyson, George Benson. Herman Salih, like some really famous wartime artists, and I don't know what it costs. I don't think it costs anything. Great, but you get and to this such shrine. a beautiful
0: part of the world. Park the car and then go and have a nice cup of tea in the gardens.
1: Oh, it's it's sort of about not so much. I mean, there are there is battle line stuff, but there's a lot of, um, I suppose, um, you know, illicit sex. And um, what soldiers did when they were away from home, and that sort of stuff. I thoroughly recommend Lust, Love, Loss, but you've only got until November one, so get thee to the shrine, Corrie. Now you have an amazing fact. Did you know, Caro
0: and Miss Jane, that children grow taller and faster in spring and summer?
1: I. It sounds familiar, but I didn't know it was an actual fact. Get ready. I'd to... like to know. I'd like to hear your justification. Jane, for it. get
0: Jane, get ready to. Buy Huey some new trousers and um, shirts. (laughs) Um, It's about to happen. That actually reminds me. We interviewed the Victorian Farmers Federation chair the other day on another show I do, and she said, lambs don't grow when it's cold and wet. Lambs, children... Okay, I'm going to... uh, No justification, Carol. These are facts I'm dealing with. Facts. They're like plants. Not assumptions. They're like plants. Though it's relatively well known that children don't grow at a steady rate through childhood, i.e. puberty, for example, It is known that the seasons have an impact on a child's growth rate. Many children grow more quickly in the spring and summer and then maintain a relatively steady height throughout autumn and winter. Just an an aside note to Checker, who might be listening, don't worry about Max being small, Checker. He's about to go through a growth spurt, just
1: saying. Um, Sorry, who actually said that? This is the sources. So I've been, oh, I have been, I have been
0: on the world wide web. And it wasn't someone is,
1: from the baby health centre, or no,
0: no, no. This is uh, this is me siphoning all of the information that I've been collecting on behalf of the podcast, Caro. It's called research. Um, <laughs> reasons why it's been suggested: the result of increased exposure to sunlight during spring and summer months. There are other contributing factors that may include genetics, home environment, and nutrition. There is a very strong um, view and research shown that good nutrition, of course, helps a child to grow. That's why we say eat your broccoli. Um, A child may grow an average of three times more quickly during a spring growth spurt in comparison to the rest of the more steady rate during the year. And increases in height and weight do not necessarily occur during the same seasons. Children are known to gain weight it's more common in autumn and winter, which sort of makes sense. I think we all do, don't we? All, all eat a bit too much.
1: Well, it's colder and it's less exercise.
0: On one, on one, um, <laughs> on one part of the deep worldwide web, I was I entered. I read a comment by an early childhood teacher who has also written books. And um, when this question was put to her, she said, "Yes, this is true." As part of our preschool program. The well-being of the child is monitored. I measure my children, weigh them. We make hand and prints to compare at the end of the year. Like weeds, these little children grow with sunshine, fresh air. They play actively outdoors. Being happy, stress-free, and well means they flourish. Summertime and spring are wonderful, healthy, happy times. Bless their cotton socks, says the lady from Michigan or wherever she is. So that's um, that's my amazing fact. So incredible
1: research. <laughs> So research. so
0: Maxim Ballarat don't be upset that Florence who's exactly your age has been growing through winter your time is coming my darling
1: boy it's in, the growth thing thing is interesting isn't it because I was the same height as I am now in grade 6 so was Coco. Coco yep. was
0: the tallest in her class for a couple of years. I was one of the tallest, And now tallest, she's a yep. bit of – She's well, she's not a shrimp. She's still tall, but she was suddenly overtaken by all of these girls.
1: Yeah, my, my sister was a beanpole in grade six, and she never really grew – she's still really tall. She's still quite tall, but, you know, it's, it's extraordinary. And, um, and, you know, obviously boys keep growing later, like often when they're 19, 20, don't they?
0: This actually – as we're having this conversation, I have deja vu. I had a dream – Was it in the tropics? It was recently that I was shrinking, and every no, not like Mrs. Pepperpot, like not in the minute, but it was like each morning I woke up, I was shorter. Crying, saying, "I'm getting smaller. I can't. I just want height. I just don't want to be small." There's nothing wrong with being small, but if you suddenly go from five five and a half to five foot and then four and a half, it was a shock overnight. That That just brought back a dream.
1: That's weird. Anyway.
0: Um, I'll just go and sort that one out with a psychologist. Um, Carol and Jane, so lovely to see you both. Miss Jane, your um, your paddocks up in up in the country are really flourishing because that is such a beautiful bouquet today, Potties. Jane will take a photo and put it on the Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account. But there's lots of forget-me-nots to see. Thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget you can keep in touch with us via Instagram and Facebook, and of course. We love receiving your notes. Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. That email if you send us, send it to us, it actually comes into Caro and my and Miss Jane's inbox, so all three of us get to have a read and we love that, so thanks heaps. Um, don't forget our dear Caro and Cory segment that we do later in the week. Love to have your dilemmas on that. And thank you, as I said, Prince Weinstall, Red Energy and Carol, what
1: do we say? Don't shoot the messenger.
0: This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded Canstar's most trusted energy providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au.